Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and today I'm joined by Professor Louise Darson. Hi Louise. Hi Steph. And I'm again joined by my producer Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi, it's through Zoom this time so it might sound a little bit different. Sorry? Through Zoom this time so I'm, I'm actually broadcasting across the wave. We're about, I don't know, 100 k's away. <laughs> there you go. We are, we are using technology to bring us together. So today we are talk, we're joined together to talk about something that the entire internet and the entire world seems to be talking about, um, and that is the Game of Thrones finale, the final season and the last episode, which aired, I think, 10 days ago, 11 days ago now? Yeah. yeah. So I have read the books, but I gave up on watching the series. Um, but Wisely, I, I think. I, I was spoiling myself throughout so that I knew what happened because I don't like to let pop culture pass me by. Um, but you guys did watch the last episode, so I might start with Louise. Louise, what did you think? Um, I found the last episode pretty disappointing on mm -hmm. several fronts. Um, I was not necessarily disappointed by it being ran at one level. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that you've got a, um, an all-seeing, wise, disabled king is not a... Not unmedieval, yes, <laughs> and also not 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 a disappointing ending in in all sorts of ways. And in particular, one of the things that I've done since watching the finale was I watched the first season again. And what the writers have done, they've been really really careful about seeding all sorts of things from the first series and across the series into that final decision to have him as king. So. That part of it was okay, but at another level, I'm also deeply disappointed <laughs> by, by, particularly by a really cavalier rejection of the possibility of a democratic or a different mode of governance mm. at the end of the story, and particularly um, the possibility of um, competent female government. <laughs> Women <laughs> disappointed. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I had mixed feelings. I didn't hate it as much as I expected to. I had been built up. I, I watched it about four days after the screen mm -hmm. and had of course caught a lot of the internet discussion so i was a little bit worried i'd really hate it and i didn't hate it as much as i wanted but as i expected but i um did was a bit disappointed with it but uh, jimmy might disagree jimmy <laughs> um no i was deeply disappointed uh, unfortunately um I, I did watch it on the first night when it came out so i didn't get any of the internet buzz so i wasn't prepared for it but i sort of was prepared because you know, the, um, the the second last episode was just so awful that I thought there's, there's really nowhere else they could go. They'd have to do, a, you know, pull a miracle for it to be a, a really killer ending for me. Uh, and it just really fell flat uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, like Louise, I didn't really have too much of a problem with Bran, you know, being king. Uh, and I can sort of see where that was happening. I thought it was a little bit contrived, though, um, especially Tyrion's speech. Uh, I just, yeah, that, that just... Um, rubbed me the wrong way uh, it, it just felt too meta you know uh, especially at the end um and even with the book appearing with um uh, what's his name um sam you know sam oh, yes. Off, yes you know it, it was just all so contrived and so heavy-handed that i thought oh you know and, and it's been my problem with the last uh, i guess three seasons of um the series at the moment which is the writing is just not up there with what it used to be um and i just i really miss the good writing uh, and so by, by the end, I just sort of went, okay, you know, it's not really a satisfying ending as such. And it was just felt like they were trying too hard to make everything 
circular in in nature so you know everything has to tie up neatly with the way it began uh, and you know i can see that it could be quite clever but it just didn't feel clever for me it was more of like an you know an eye rolling moment of oh god i can't believe they went in that particular direction and the other thing about it being wrapped up like that i mean i, I think you're right jimmy and i think one of the things was well as i was saying at one level i thought well i went back and i looked and you know, and I watched it again with my kids uh, because they were too young to watch the first season. When it <laughs> yeah. came out, so they're a little bit older now, probably not quite old enough to see some of the things that happen in <laughs> of um, Westeros. But uh, in any case, um, it was very, very neatly done, and that was there was a pleasure in seeing that. But the kind of question that comes up around that is also then: so was this? Do we all just surrender to the idea that this was fated from the very beginning? Yeah, like it was almost too neat um like you know all the it, it tied in too neatly for me to actually be particularly satisfied it, it just felt like i could see all the stitches and you know that went to play all the nuts and bolts and and you know when i'm looking at a narrative i don't want to see that i want to be pleasantly surprised and uh, and the entire series um at least the first five seasons anyway sort of did all that and then suddenly it sort of break uh, broke apart in the last three seasons and, and i could see all the the technical things that they were trying to do uh uh, and, and the final episode was very, very heavy-handed in terms of trying to wrap all that stuff up. Um, and I also had massive problems with the whole uh, representation of uh, female rulers as well. You know, so it wasn't so much I was disappointed with Daenerys being a mad queen. I sort of went, okay, well, that's, yeah, I can sort of see how, how that's a possibility. But it's just every single female leader in this world just tends to be, tend to be mad, actually, you know, after a while. So by the end, you had potentially two mad queen and then it was the mad it was the you know sane all-seeing king who saves the day and i just thought oh that's just you know that's not really the way i kind of like a story to to end especially a story that had such strong female lead throughout and then just suddenly you know it, it really didn't end it uh, quite satisfactory well that goes back to louise's point about is this supposed to be all fated because mm, you know yes. turning into the mad queen because her father was the mad king it just struck me as annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the kind of circularity of it. I mean, it's one of the, I suppose it's one of the things that um, the fantasy fiction sometimes does have to negotiate. And I would certainly um, defer here to, to uh, Jimmy's greater knowledge of that genre than mine. But there is always that kind of tension between, on the one hand, um, you've got the sort of capacity for it to be sort of sprawling and have, have all of this sort of unexpectedness happen. And I think in the first five seasons, there was that kind of pleasure in the unexpected and all of these things that that um as this world expanded uh, you know there were all of these unexpected plot lines and then it was like the last three seasons were devoted to sort of bringing it back in so that it all became concentrated into westeros there was that sense of everything kind of coming to some sort of culmination and i was left with the feeling of like it could have made a decision to not have to go with that concept of fatedness mm. you know destiny um, sort of having to prevail in the end. And as I say, um, the, the genre itself always has to kind of negotiate how do you, you know, do you have the destined one who just sort of then basically just has to wait until that destiny comes to pass for them? Mm. Or can you break with that? And I, I thought for a while this show was going to break with that. Well, mm. I think that it, it set itself up. It sets itself up, I think, to be breaking from fantasy tropes. Mm. But then it doesn't, really. Yeah, it just sort of fell back into that sort of sense that they were destined, that things were destined to fall out this way. And, mm. and I guess I felt like 
yeah, I, I felt so disappointed by that. And while I, I agree with Jimmy a lot, you know, I think while I could admire the circularity and I could admire the structure of that, it, it just, it disappointed me because it wasn't, it didn't feel forward looking, mm. you know. And I don't know if, you, if that's a wrong thing to expect from fantasy. Maybe that's, you know, that's not the right way to approach it. But I, I felt like it gave us enough signs that it might be, particularly through the figures of Arya and Sansa. Well, Arya's going to go and be Christopher Columbus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a conquest moment at the very yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. She's going to, you know, maybe we'll have the, a sequel yeah. and have her conquer, conquering the Caribbean or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose just going back to the, the point about the fatedness of, of it all, I mean, I was thinking of, uh, I mean, Martin himself has quoted uh, Tolkien as the, uh, you know, one of the major influences um, for his writing. Uh, and, you know, in, in even the earliest form of fantasy, we had this idea of fatedness, but we also had an idea of um, free wills. I mean, the, the, the ending of Lord of the Rings uh, is the eucatastrophe, the, um, you know, Frodo making that decision that he chooses the ring instead of, you know, the right thing, which was, a complete shock, you know, um, I don't know about other people, for me it was a complete shock because I wasn't expecting it to go down that direction. So fantasy from its earlier, earliest formation had that built-in ability to go beyond this idea that, you know, everything could be fate in that sense um, because you know, we were thinking, well, Frodo's the chosen one and therefore he's going to destroy the ring and that will be the happy ever after. But actually it turned out to be, you know, the uh, go- uh, golem, um, almost incidentally destroying the ring, which was actually a much more satisfying ending, you know, when you compare it to what happened with um, <clears throat> Game of Thrones. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think that it's interesting with that stuff about fatedness and free will, because that's, you know, there are those theorists of um, fantasy fiction who argue that's why it's such a popular genre for teenagers. Yes. They're at that kind of moment in their lives where they're still, you know, where that kind of relationship of authority to individual will is sort of something they're thinking about and, and so it's a genre that allows them to sort of, um, again, work through those sorts of tensions or, or, or questions in their own lives. And, and you're, you're absolutely right that, that I think that Tolkien in the end, there was almost, um, on the one hand, as you say, um, a kind of an accommodation of will, mm. but also of randomness. Yes. Of the unexpected. And I think, I think the, the ending just, the ending of Game of Thrones just, kind of folded back on the predictable i mean even though you know it was you know the episode before it's kind of like will it be john or will it be daenerys so Mm. from that point of view it was not predictable that it was grand but at a deeper level it was predictable yeah Yeah, and i think they did try to do something similar to that with daenerys you know going mad but my main problem with daenerys going mad is the the lack of character development so you know i mean they always talk about the whole foreshadowing, you know, the, this was happening. Um, you've got suggestions of this happening throughout the entire series, you know, that, that she could potentially turn to a mad queen. Uh, but we don't really see that developed well um, in, in the last season or even the last two seasons. So it comes not necessarily as a, a shock or surprise, but rather as a disappointment that, you know, it, it, the script took it that way rather than the character slowly developed into that particular um, area. I mean, even, um, What's his name? Oh, God, I'm terrible with names today. The, the, the spider, Varys. Yeah. Uh, Varys says, you know, uh, whenever Targaryen um, enters the throne, it, it's a flip of the coin. So it's said, well, well, if it's a flip of the coin, why did Daenerys necessarily have to be mad? Because we already had um, her brother, um, Viserys, was already mad. So it's a flip of the coin. It seems to be every flip seems to suggest madness rather than the kind of randomness that they were talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was really sort of, I was a bit torn on the question of Daenerys's madness or Daenerys breaking bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> I guess I had felt like as soon as she got to Slaver's Bay, you could already see this despotic tendency in her. And so I felt like it, it had been seeded for a long time. But where I really agree with you about the last two seasons um, is I felt like it was still there in her character. Mm. But one of the things that really bothered me, and this is where Varys, coming back to Varys, is I think really valid, is what I felt was missing was a character around Daenerys who could focalise our concerns as viewers about what was yes. happening to her or what she was becoming. What was so weird was to have these characters who hitherto in previous seasons had been mm. critical characters, gadfly mm. characters like Tyrion. Yes. Varys, who basically disappeared from the show for a long time, who had always been these characters who could stand back and offer rational or could offer some sort of external critique or, or commentary. Mm. Somebody like Varys, who in spite of his methods, ultimately had the realm as his um, primary concern, just kind of were lost as... Um, critical voices in the last two seasons. So you had these ridiculous moments with Tyrion. Yes. Saying, which is my queen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can, can we talk about the stupidity of Tyrion? Yeah. Uh, like, <clears throat> and do you know what the weird thing was, Jimmy? There was this inversely proportionate thing happening across the last three seasons where the more stupid and compliant he became, the more commentary you had of other people saying, Oh, he's so... How, how clever he is, yes. How clever he is. I get thinking, do they have to keep telling us because basically they never show it anymore? No, it's because yeah. they need to remind us, you know, um, uh, you know, oh, you, you can't go into the battlefield because you are too clever. Never mind that you haven't done anything clever in the last two seasons, but just yeah. don't go there because you're just so clever. Underuse of Varys as somebody who could focus oh. our concerns because you're watching Daenerys go down this spiral and then you've got no friction in the show. None, yeah. With the people surrounding her to mm. actually, um, I suppose, allow that position to be occupied of querying her. And I kept thinking, what's the show doing here? Is it deliberately withholding any kind of criticism of her to generate more criticism from us? Mm. Yeah, I, I think they were doing it specifically for the, um, the, the shock value. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm thinking. It's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've noticed about the series yeah. is that as it progresses, there seems to be more um, focus on trying to shock the audience uh, as opposed to just sort of having those shock naturally develop. Um, so every scene plays for a, a payoff, so to speak. And so it's almost like the, the shock value of Daenerys turning queen was for them much more important than having that critical voice that you were talking about um, to you know, sort of develop the, the character and develop the uh, the environment around her, and so that we so that we don't see it so um, unexpectedly, I guess. Yeah, because one of the things also about leadership, and I guess you see this with the kind of the hand, the figure of the hand of the king or the queen, is that there had always been counsel around them. Mm -hmm. Counsel had had that role of criticism, and it just sort of seemed to vanish after a while. And it was almost like the show was so busy pitting opposing forces that having people somewhere in the middle attempting to sort of pull back on excess mm. was sacrificed to this very kind of Manichaean structure. You know, you just have these kind of good characters and bad characters and, and um, or evil characters mm. or 
invisible dead people or <laughs> undead people or whatever. It just, yeah, it sort of felt to me like it lost a lot of its texture as, as a show in its last three um, seasons in particular. So I sort of felt like season eight was really just a culmination of three pretty poor seasons. And I had been such a fan yeah. up until <laughs> season six and it really gradually lost me. And I know you and I talked about that before, Jimmy, and probably yeah. felt me similarly. Yeah, and it, it was just, I mean, I actually got to a stage where I think by the time I reached this season, I was very begrudgingly watching it because I just, I wasn't, um, it no longer became something interesting for me to watch and it just became almost like a, a chore that I just had to finish the series off because, you know, I've, I've gone this far, I might as well just go along the way and I just keep hoping and hoping and hoping that they'll somehow turn it around and they never do. And, and you're right about this final season. It almost feels as if they just had a, a series of plot points that they need to reach. And that's all that the action did. It just moved them from one plot point to another plot point to another plot point. Uh, and there was none of that beautiful, glorious writing and characters that we just loved throughout the first five uh, or even six seasons. Uh, it just all faded away. And all the characters almost completely turned against what we originally knew about them. I mean, I think by the end of the season, I didn't even, I didn't really recognize any of the characters anymore. They weren't the characters that I, I knew from the first, you know, uh, four or five seasons that that changed almost completely to the point of being almost contradictory to, to the way that they were originally. Uh, and for me, that was probably the most disappointing part uh, to see a character, a, a fantastic dynamic character like Tyrion reduced to such a pathetic and, you know, almost stupid, well, not almost, but yeah, very, very stupid character. It, it just actually grated on me because I thought, oh, what a terrible thing to do to such a wonderful character. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, the other thing I felt like, well, actually, it wasn't just me saying this, um, because, you know, of course, my, my poor children had to listen to my husband and I tell <laughs> you what was wrong with this season. I mean, they had their own opinions too. My kids were disappointed by the final season. We all were. But one of the things that my husband said that I think, had that possibly has some truth to it is he said it almost felt like they'd done they polled people or they kind of combed through all of the fan sites and figured out what people wanted mm. and they delivered on that like things like i have to say i love gendry as a character and i love aria as a character but i found the kind of you know this kind of pairing off of people like james <laughs> and, and um brianne brianne thank you jamie and brianne and then um Aria and Gendry, just so implausible. It's not mm. like it was impossible. I mean, you know, they, they're there in the same spot. They're both willing. It's not impossible. Mm. But it's not engineered. I think so much felt engineered. Yeah. And as I saying, I almost felt like it was engineered toward what they'd gotten feedback that fans want or mm. something because it felt like it was sort of, it was following a different agenda. It was like it was answering different masters or something. For <laughs> I think it's it's generated from like you know it's such a popular topic on Twitter and there's so much kind of internet conversation that it's actually kind of it's it's pandering to those you know to the discussion. Well, that was certainly what my yeah. husband was wondering about. It's sort of become completely intermedial, you know. It's mm -hmm. like, which is not a bad thing, but it was sort of it's almost like it was sort of feeding off um, and tracking the sorts of expectations that were coming up on the on the web, on YouTube, wherever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. That, that that's really interesting, actually, because um, I remember having a discussion with uh, Rosemary Colmer years and years ago, before the series even came out. Uh, and one of the theories she had uh, was that um, 
all the fans were, have, were guessing about what's going to happen uh, with the books uh, in terms of wh- where it was going to end. Uh, and she believed that some of the fans have actually guessed the ending. Uh, and Martin, as a result, decided that he, he couldn't have that happen. So he decided to take the, the plot in a different direction. And so that's where... Give up altogether. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or give up altogether. Because one of the things he aims for is to always surprise and, and um, you know, uh, delight his readers. And if they can see where it's going, then he's not doing that. So he started to change the direction um, of the novel. And then what you're saying, saying here about the, the series, it's, it's doing the complete opposite. It's trying to then cater to... Uh, all those um, fans and, and their theories and ideas um, and, and it's playing with that. And I think there is a lot of validity to that because it does feel as if it is uh, seeing what people are wanting uh, in terms of where the story should go and then sort of meeting that, but not developing the story to go there naturally, but just simply somehow, you know, almost contrivedly go there. Mm. Has this got to do too with the fact that they had to wrap up the series? Because, you know, they have six episodes and it's such a sprawling world and there's so many bits to it and it's it's so massive you know that they just didn't allow themselves enough time to bring it back is that is that got something to do with it do you think um i heard an interview with um, martin and one of the things he said was that he actually wanted the series to uh go for another two seasons because he thought there was enough material there to go but the creators had decided they just they, they wanted to end um, with this current season. So uh, it's, it's a creative decision that they've made. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that kind of rush feeling that we're all sensing comes from that decision. And part of me can't help but think maybe the, the problem is Martin probably knows where he wanted to take the world, but the writers, they just had certain points that they wanted to reach in the series and not quite sure how to actually get the characters there. Like, I think that's what I was trying to um, say when I, when I mean by the whole nuts and bolts thing. I can see that they want to reach this point. Uh, and so rather than try to get the characters to go there naturally, they just sort of, you know, make it magically appear. Uh, and so it appears very, very disjointed. Yeah, it didn't, it, it felt like the engine for it was no longer the story. Yes, and, yeah. And I, think it, I mean, ironically, because as you're saying, it's so plot-driven and it mm. became so plot-driven, but, but it felt like the plot, at some level was also had been subordinated to some other pressures, like maybe industry pressures, what have you. The rushed feeling was something that everybody was commenting about in season seven as well. You know, that you'd had what had been a really kind of impressively kind of slow at times. Like, you know, that there there was, they would take the time to build things. that you would feel. I was thinking about that incredible tension in some of those episodes, like when everybody is trying to climb up the wall. You remember yeah. that way back now. I don't even know if that's season four or when it was, but incredible tension. And it would mount over an entire episode. Mm-hmm. Right? And they would give a lot of time to things. And this, I remember the final episode, it was so truncated in its start time scale that they had to actually show how much time had passed by having Tyrion have a bushy beard. <laughs> <laughs> One scene when he's got a little scruffy beard, yeah. And cut to a scene, and I'm going, hang on, hang on, how did those people look at things landing? Oh, that's right, his beard's much longer. It must be a bit weak. <laughs> they had to actually resort to, they couldn't quite have the calendar pages falling off the, yeah. off the wrong time period or wrong wrong world, but but they were having to use techniques of truncation. Yes. That just like. One of the things that you really realise, especially if you're a novel reader and you really enjoy things unfolding slowly and taking, you know, the idea that it might take you several hours to read a scene in a novel, you're kind of comfortable with the idea that things can move slowly. 
And so it felt to me like the, the pressure to make things happen quickly was really damaging the plausibility of it. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they did move alarmingly quickly from um, the north to King's Landing. Uh, I think it was that within the space of about 10 minutes, they, they went from the north of King's Landing. Uh, and you just kind of went, oh, that was, that was fast. I didn't realise, you know. Enough time for a bushy beard. <laughs> yeah, enough time for a bushy beard. I don't know how long that takes. But it sort of felt to me like they were falling back on these sorts of signs that time had passed. So they, they heard, you know, the viewers' protests around things going too fast. Mm. Mm. That had possibly happened in that amount of time. How could they get from Dragonstone up to, <laughs> you know, the wall in that amount of time, which was a lot of the critique that was coming from season seven. And they sort of, but they sort of wheeled in these kind of visual signs that time had passed. Yeah. So they addressed it. It was kind of like they they, they were addressing complaints or addressing possible objections. Mm. Yeah. And it's even ticking it. Yeah. Okay, we've addressed that because it's got to be it. So yeah, clearly we're, we're signaling that time has passed. Yeah. So yeah. we're not doing it in ten minutes, but it felt within the emotional economy of viewing, it felt too fast. Yeah. You know. So I think you're right, Steph. I think it, it was that. It just felt like it was all, it was being wrapped up. The object was to wrap it up. Mm. Yeah, um, but I think that kind of um, rushness of it also creates um, discontin uh, discontinuity that um, makes it really, really um, annoying to watch at time because there are, there are things that just, I mean, I know you're not, not meant to be like, you know, this nitpicky, logical type of person when you're watching these sort of things, but I just can't help but, see some of the inconsistencies in you know some of the plot like for example um there was a very ridiculous scene um of Jon snow seeing the um execution of the, of the prisoners in the, in the final episode uh by gray worm mm -hmm. and he decides he's going to go talk to daenerys about it and you know the camera tracks him and follows him on this journey to go see daenerys and then by the time he's about to meet daenerys gray worms up the top there waiting for him already so I'm just thinking, how did Grey Worm just, what did Grey Worm do? Like, did he just magically, you know, <laughs> move up there? <laughs> oh some, gosh, yeah. some sort of strange, it almost feels as if I'm watching a, um, an edited version and there's a director's cut supposed to come out that fills in some of these plot holes or these missing gaps in the narrative. Um, and it became very, very annoying for me to watch. I mean, another one of those ridiculous moments was uh, the, the uh, Dothraki. You know, they were meant to be massacred in the... Um, uh, uh, in the, the battle with the White Walkers, and then they magically appear in the final, uh, the second last episode. I had noticed that their numbers had replenished themselves. Yes. <laughs> they I, just... I actually really, I was a bit bothered, I have to say. Now, I, being a medievalist, mm. a, lot, a number of my friends, my, my medievalist friends on social media, were very meticulous in the way they critiqued the battle tactics in that, in that scene. I mean, it was pretty just catastrophically bad strategy and, and they talked about medieval warfare and all the things that Jon Snow did wrong and I think mm. it turned into a blog post that was called You Know Nothing About Medieval Warfare, Jon Snow or something. <laughs> so so but, but even setting that aside, because I have to say it's not a strong suit of mine to understand battle tactics of medieval, um, medieval battle tactics, but I was a bit bothered by the sacrificing of non-Western Yes, soldiers, non-Western combatants, and the way they just sort of set the Dothraki up the front to just basically ride to their doom. Yes, and and also the um, the unsullied, yeah. and and there was this sense in which, you know, there've been a lot of critiques of the racial politics of this show, and and some yeah. and, and lots of them I've seen the merit of, and some of them I've I've wanted to be a little bit more convinced by. Mm. 
this particular case, I thought what we have is a situation where an enormous number of Dothrakis have just been summarily slaughtered on the front line and then a whole lot of unsullied. And then you've got, now, of course, his name's not going to come back to me now, um, um, Joram Mormont, is that Yes. Right? Yeah, dying. And we get this incredible amount of screen time devoted <laughs> to, to Daenerys crying over his kind of last breath. Hmm. I'm thinking all of these Dothraki soldiers who have followed you across the narrow sea, they've never even been on water before, hmm. all of these unsullied who come across to make you know, your destiny fulfil itself, Shed a tear for them, Denise. <laughs> Where are you focusing on Dora Mormont? You know, yeah. so I felt a little bit like they had ended up being ethnic colour for the show. Well, they have. I mean, uh, even in that war scene, the, the Unsullied uh, were basically told to protect all the white soldiers. So, you know, uh, will be, you know, the, the war, if you will, for the, for the white walkers. Well, everybody runs into the safety of the castle while we just sort of sacrifice ourselves for, uh, you know, <laughs> the other white soldiers who, who seem to survive everything else. Uh, I mean, people also talked about in, in that episode the, the lack of casualty uh, in terms of the main characters, you know, so really not a lot of, um, for, for such an epic battle, there wasn't really a lot of major death. All the deaths were basically soldiers or people that we never really know and we never really get a sense of. They were always sacrificed to, to the story, uh, while all the major characters tend to support most of them. And, and you're right. I mean, we don't know them, and the show sends us the message that we don't need to know them. Yes. If that if that was going to happen within the plot, and there was some kind of argument that the show would be making around, look, um, you know, this was the pact between Daenerys and these soldiers. They went gladly to their death for her, and what have you. Mm. Um, within the world of the show, that's okay. Yeah. The world watching the show is not the world of the show, and mm. you would sort of expect that there would be an awareness after the not insignificant amount of criticism that this show has attracted from viewers of colour, you yeah. know, and people just sort of saying, look, you know, the racial politics of this show are troubling to me as a viewer, etc." Um, and I feel as though if they were committed to at least continuing that world as it was, in spite mm. of all of that, that you would find ways within the show, the use of, you know, the use of camera work, Give us a close-up, show some Dothraki people, show that their deaths are meaningful. Yeah, it was just basically a snuffing out of lights for the Dothraki. In the distance. Yeah, it, it, to me, I felt like, even if they felt like, well, this is, these are the racial politics of that world and we can't just change them around now, we have to commit to following them through, you could use camera work, you could use the kind of representational, you know, techniques available mm. to actually comment on that. Yeah. And the show didn't do it. So I felt disappointed by that, you know, failure to to listen. If they are listening to readers and, and, and viewers that closely, then they should have been listening to that. Well, that I mean, you know, we've talked about or touched on you know, women in the show, and it doesn't. It seems like they weren't listening to that as well. That seems to be the two the two blind spots is the racial politics and the and the gender politics. I mean, a lot of people were very unhappy with what happened to Cersei, for example. Um, and, and her ending, you know, like, yeah. oh, look, here's some rubble. I'm dead. You know? <laughs> Cersei. I, like, I always liked Cersei far more than I should. <laughs> I love Cersei. Yeah. She's entertaining. Yeah. She's Were you disappointed by her, her ending? I was. How about you, Jimmy? 
Um, I was a bit ambivalent. I was disappointed where that would, where they took the character. I, I, I didn't mind her having an ending like that, but I just, I, I guess I wanted one final confrontation or something, um, some sort of, um, I don't know, realization. I mean, I, I was disappointed with the portrayal of Cersei in the last season because I thought, as with all the other characters, she had betrayed so much of all the things that I had really loved about her character. So, you know, I mean, she was a, uh, she may be a vicious character at times, but there were some redeeming qualities about her. And one of those redeeming qualities that she had genuine love for her children uh, and for Jamie. Uh, and I thought that in the last season, that was pretty much betrayed. I mean, she, she sent Bronn to go assassinate Jamie which I just thought, no, she, she, she wouldn't do something like that. You know, no matter how much she hated Jamie, she would still somehow try to protect him because that's, uh, they had this strong bond with each other. Um, and so by the end, I just thought her character had again been reduced to something a little bit more flat, um, more two-dimensional rather than the kind of complex, really interesting character that she had been throughout the entire series. I mean, she is the character that you, you love to hate, um, but you know, you have to admire her because she's just such an, an amazing character that by the end, she was kind of reduced to a little bit of a, a flat and weak character, mm-hmm. um, if that makes any sense. She was just a little bit two-dimensional, I thought, in the final season. You know, there, there had always been that, there was always a little element of pathos to her as a kid mm-hmm. in earlier seasons. And there would be times, she has some fantastic speeches throughout the earlier seasons of the show. Yes. Which talks about what it's like to grab a girl. Yes. That she was in, in, in the Lannister family and moments and what it was like to be married to Robert. Mm. You know? And she gave you a kind of a portrait of somebody who, she's not, not likeable, she's not good, she's not a, a well-intentioned character toward most people, but there was a sense in which she was incredibly embittered. Mm. Things that had made her embittered would embitter you. You know, it's like there was there was a reason for it, and so I always felt like there was a, an extra sort of dimensionality to her character yes. that was kind of lost in the end, where she just became Daenerys's antagonist, and so it was going to be the two kind of you know hardcore queens. Yeah, and it just turned out to be like a, a battle between two mad queens, as opposed to a battle between two strong, complex female rulers, which for me was probably the most disappointing aspect of it um you know that, that they didn't take the time to flesh out uh, cersei a little bit more as well and um i don't know give her the ending she deserves i guess and she wasn't really even a strategist anymore no one of the things about her too was that you know whether you liked her or hated her there was that sense in which she was a match for those sorts of characters like Tyrion, etc because she was mm. a and in the later really in the final season She's an antagonist, but not a strategist. You know, you can, even, I can't remember, Euron Greyjoy, isn't it? So she has that relationship with Euron Greyjoy. And it, it seems as though it's there's some sort of, you know, idea that this is about using his fleet. And that just sort of fizzles out too. It's, it's, it was kind of, it was just strategy that didn't evolve into anything. So, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a... I'm conscious that people are just listening to us complaining. <laughs> okay, so this, you know, but something I really liked, if we don't want to think, <laughs> I really liked is Sansa, Queen of the North, looking fantastic. Oh, she always looks great. She always looks fantastic, <laughs> but she's finally queen. I loved that, that ending for her. I liked, I, I thought that was one nice spot in this episode. What did you think, Sansa, Queen of the North? You in? Oh, I... Oh. 
See, I don't even have anything nice to say about that because I only, I only have negative thoughts about that. So I'm just going to be Why? <laughs> so I felt great. she should have been Queen of Westeros. I thought she should be yes. Queen of Westeros too, but if that wasn't going to happen, then I'll take her sitting on yeah. a on a throne. Well, I was just, I, I think I was just bitter about, about the whole, um, it, it just seems like there was nothing um, that, that united that world. Um, I mean, I was, like Louise, disappointed with the whole flippant uh, disregard of democracy. But then nobody seemed to complain that she's like, oh, no, 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 the North's going to remain independent and that's it. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> there was no discussion. No, yeah, yeah, nothing. I, I felt, I suppose the other thing that I felt, and this comes back to that kind of idea of fatedness, mm. was that, you know, not that I'm sort of, I'm not wanting to uncritically promote the idea of meritocracy, but I thought she'd proven herself. Yes, she had. I thought that she had proven herself to be probably the most competent leader. Now, John had done some good leadership in previous seasons, but the way he just flew around on a dragon with Daenerys <laughs> in a catastrophic battle, he lost. Um, any kind of leadership <laughs> points he had gained in previous seasons. So I felt like Sansa really was in that final season yeah. the one who showed herself to have the most potential and, and, and not just potential, she had proven herself. And so I was a bit disappointed. And she even has that kind of moment where she looks a little bit, you know, miffed that <laughs> she <laughs> be the Queen of Westeros. Um, and then, yes, yeah, she sort of packs up and goes back to the north. It felt, it felt perfunctory. Mm. Yes. I mean, I, 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 did, I did think of something that I did like about this season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was quite perfunctory, wasn't it? And I was just so disappointed with the way Barris ended. I mean, it felt in some ways like it was, it could only, it, this is the only thing that could happen to him because he was the only person who was prepared to, um, to actually say what Daenerys had become. But I felt so excited when he finally came back into the show and good dialogue considering how bad the dialogue was being in this season there was a moment that i thought oh it felt like i was back in season one or season three or something yes, yes. he turns to Tyrion and says i fear the queen's state of mind and it was actually a really chilling bit of dialogue it was finally somebody a speaking the truth b better dialogue than usual and um and it, it felt like a moment of cut through Mm. And then next thing you know, he's being executed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I suppose given the state that Daenerys had reached, it makes sense, you know, in, logically it makes sense, but it felt like the opportunity for this character mm. who has always operated kind of against the grain of all of these powerful figures that he's always living adjacent to, it felt like a moment where some of that tension could return to the show. and. Mm. Maybe it was just, you know, it makes sense in plot terms what happened to him. But part of that is because it was too little too late. Yeah, I mean, I think what didn't make sense for me was uh, Tyrion's betrayal uh, of Varys. Yes. That, that felt just, again, more stupidity on, on Tyrion's part. You know, he was always been a very wise character. If he's a wise character, he would consider what this other very wise character is trying to tell him rather than just simply, okay, I'm just going to betray him to my queen because she's my queen and that's all I know. It was so yeah, It was just disappointing. It's whole kind of what I was saying before about Sansa having um, proven herself. Is I think I was just left with a really muddied and disappointed sense of what they thought governance could be. <laughs> I mean, and, and and that might sound like a really sort of sterile, scholarly sort of thing to say, but this is a show that has actually been really interesting about governance. 
It's been, mm. and one of the things, you know, the, the, the um, academic Caroline Larrington, who has written, you know, um, a book about Game of Thrones and has done a lot of um, commentary around Game of Thrones, has always made the point that one of the things that it did really well was it brought in real politics. It talked about economy, which a lot of um, fantasy fiction doesn't necessarily do. And it was actually interested in real politics in a kind of a messy way. You know, yeah. and, and, and I think that it just sort of reverted to, um, yeah, just to kind of, given the complexity it had introduced into the into governance and what makes good governance, it just sort of reverted back to such a kind of, I don't know, I don't know just one-dimensional kind of conclusion. Although I was happy to see Robin make an appearance. You know, Liza, you know, oh gosh, I'm not doing very well on people's names today. You know, Robin, sweet Robin. Yeah. Robin Aaron, yeah. And didn't he look good? <laughs> just on a completely banal level, my, my, my kids he, said, he's, glowed he's up. had a glow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can speak young person. <laughs> I have to do it with sort of invisible yeah, yeah. quotation marks. He had a glow up and he looked fantastic. So, but that was also strange too, who they assembled to make these decisions mm. at the end. I wonder if that has to do with the, like, I mean, you know, notoriously they're working off book. Mm. You know, if they had a, I mean, we'll never know. Like, how different would this be if they had books to to adapt rather than to to make up stuff out of whole cloth? I don't know how much of a difference. We'll never know how much of a difference. But I wonder if if that is the difference. I mean, um, George R. R. Martin has been a bit vague about whether that that's his ending. He's he's sort of said. Well, He's, he's actually mentioned that it's definitely not going to be his ending. Um, and he talks about the, the sort of butterfly effect of yeah. changes that have happened. So, um, you know, certain characters who are alive by the end of the television series are already dead in the book uh, yeah, and vice versa as well. So weird about it because he's, I've seen him say, it's not my ending, but it is also my ending. You know, like he's. Yeah, he's, I, I think he's trying to not, um, you know, yeah. sort of ruffle the feathers of. But of, I mean, look, like, are we, are we seriously going to get books from him? Sorry? No, I mean, I, I don't mean, think we are. Well, the thing is, though, I mean, you and I work on historical fiction, right? Yeah. So we both know that it doesn't actually have to matter. No. If it, people know the ending. Yeah, well, that's. Right? People quite, know what's going to happen to Thomas Cromwell, but I can tell you, I am going to be oh, reading. Yeah. Hillary I'll be Mantos, there day one. Yeah, absolutely. I got texted three times around the yeah. night. That was, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was beside myself because I, I literally, I read, walk call every night when I go to bed. Really? I just pick it up randomly on whatever page. And I oh, read wow. Because I love it so much. And it doesn't matter with historical fiction. We know how it ends. It's how they get there. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to actually matter if that's his ending. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll get if we'll get books from him or not, but I, I do think, in answer to your question, I think it's certainly a factor. I felt that the dialogue from about season six on became really catchy mm. and um and it was going for kind of televisual dopey moments and things. I was the moment that I always thought got that got me was when Yara Greyjoy has this kind of like lesbian desire moment with um, with Daenerys, and she says, "I'm up for anything." It's <laughs> so, so out of character, but also out of world. Yeah, you know that it really grated me. And the one that got me at the very end with this one was I'm doing so badly with people's names today. The little girl Mormont. What's her first name again? Liana. Liana Mormont. Mm-hmm. When she says, "I'm done here," <laughs> 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 in a Northern English accent. <laughs> 
she says something it sounds like some kind of american you know vocal fry yeah <laughs> yeah you know and it was it was just this moment of thinking there's been an incredible loss of idiom yeah in the like as much as anything else plotting yeah and all that sort of stuff there was a loss of ear there was a loss of idiom yeah in the yeah it's, it's that um and, and when you get it wrong in historical fiction you get it so wrong you either go like the old speak or you or you end up throwing out anachronisms to take you out of the story and it's yeah. a really fine line to walk yeah and it sounds like they really fell down they, they crossed over into it i mean yeah. something like hillary mantel is the one the genius of hillary mantel i'm sure we'll have a show about this oh yeah yes genius, so i won't book in a show in february next year the genius of, of hillary mantel but the thing is that she has this extraordinary voice she's developed that is both completely modern and completely not. Yeah. And I do not know how she does it. And I read that book every night. So yeah. I'm still trying to figure it's it a, out. It's a hard balance because you don't yeah. want to, like, like I said, with the old language. You know, I read a lot of historical fiction that throws around the privies and all of this sort yes. of, you know. Mayhap. 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 <laughs> right. yeah. and, and people don't talk like that. And it, it just sounds so, so stupid. But on the other hand, you don't want to say, you know, I'm up for anything. It's so, so obviously a modern idiom. But George, and George R. R. Martin doesn't do it perfectly either, by the mm. way. I think uh, I may have said to Jimmy before, legendarily, the first time we ever met Sir Alistair, he's described as having a stick up his butt <laughs> in the novels, right? So, I mean, so George R. R. Martin did not always get the idiom completely yeah. right either, but, but much more so. And I think yeah. that when the show was was tracking the books, there was a control over idiom yeah. that really got lost once they, were, once they had this... this the writers and but the thing that's so confusing about that is hbo writers are brilliant yeah they should know so it's confusing yeah. because you think of how many shows that have been written from scratch or adapted significantly by hbo yeah they should writers. know better yeah and they're amazing writers so i don't know why this one fell yeah. down so badly on it yeah yeah yes um, I think that's pretty much all we have time for. I know that was a very big downer on the. Sorry, everyone. But we did we did talk about why we we liked it before. Loved the show for a very long time. And yes. there's something and there's something lovely about like, you know, we don't have those experiences of like global viewership or global spectatorship very often. Where you know you feel like the whole world is watching something, mm. if not in real time, then as close to real time as we mm. can possibly get. Um, you know, viewing is so refracted and individual these days because of new technology you know it, it is kind of special to have the world kind of go oh we've got to watch this and then analyze it together for the next yeah. three weeks yeah, yeah. afterwards you know i don't feel like we have those sorts of water cooler tv moments anymore so it, it is nice to participate in that i think oh completely yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. that's why i kept up with it even though i did <laughs> and I watched it to the bitter end. Like, like yes, me too. Kind of I, you know, I'm, I'm very given to duty as a person. Yeah, you, <laughs> you did your homework. Yes, yeah. and it did end with a little bit of a whimper. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Louise, for coming in, and for Jimmy for dialing in all the way up the Blue Mountains. Always a pleasure. Um, so we'll see you again in two weeks. If you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. If you have opinions on the last episode of Game of Thrones that you want to share with us or if you think we were wrong or, and or right, let us know. You can go to our website at fromthelighthouse.org to drop us a line. Um, thanks again to Louise and Jimmy. We'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>